Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. I am Ben Standing and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, as well as hosting this year's podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks, of course, everybody for downloading the podcast. Another fun episode for you here. Two guests. First up, from CBS Sports, NFL insider Jason Locke and Fora talks about not so much about Washington's draft or, or anything. We're kind of moving past that and got into some bigger picture stuff. Washington's reputation now, two off seasons into the Ron Rivera era. We, we know what they ultimately have landed on at a quarterback, but what do we think about how that worked out? Did, was there something perhaps that they tried that didn't work out? Um, what, what, what about uh, this season and moving forward? And um, also got into some Brandon Scherf conversation. So a fun chat with Jason Lock and Fora. And then speaking of the draft, Washington drafted, of course, in the third round, University of North Carolina wide receiver Deombe Brown. I had to speak to chance. I had a chance to speak with, I should say, North Carolina offensive coordinator Phil Longo. Get a sense for this very interesting receiver. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to see uh, on the athletic, uh, I had a story up on Monday. Talked to a bunch of scouts from around the league about what they thought of Washington's drafts and. One of the questions was about pound for pound, what was their best pick? And there was a nomination for Deami Brown, getting him at that point in the third round when some people thought he could go off the board uh, earlier in the second round. So uh, fun conversation there. And, and uh, I'll also get into just a couple other notes about the team and, 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 and also talk a little bit about the Wizards here in just a second. Uh, of course, if you're not a, yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you know, what can I say? I appreciate that. Uh, that that's where the... The, the, the written work is, and, uh, you know, you can always find a subscription discount if you go check out the uh, go check out the site. Um, in addition to that, I just want to say a quick shout out to our sponsors on, for this episode, All Pro Reels. This, pro, this podcast episode is brought to you by our friends at All Pro Reels. That's a, they are a media, uh, a digital media company covering all major professional sports teams in the Washington, D.C. area through photography and videography with a database of over 25,000 images, whether you're looking for in-game content or content with your favorite player, APR has you covered. Um, so we're, I'm talking to you guys, it's Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Jason and I spoke earlier today. I've been kind of waiting to do this, to record this interview in, in just in case we heard something out of the Washington football team. They, they met with, uh, offensive tackle Charles Leno yesterday. We're supposed to meet with safety Bobby McCain as well. Uh, last I heard, the meeting with Leno went, you know, into Monday evening, but have not heard of any update at this point. So, um, you know, I guess on some, on some level, we're all kind of used to players showing up here in Washington, uh, m moving on quickly uh, if they're going to if they're going to sign them. But that hasn't happened yet, which is not necessarily bad news. It's not even necessarily. It may actually be on some level good news. They're pondering their options, that there is a, a sense, of, of course, that they could use an upgrade at left tackle and free safety, and that's what both of these potential signings would, would be. But nonetheless, that at this moment hasn't happened. I will talk a little bit more about the offensive line in a little bit with Jason, and then I'll have some other thoughts there. So um, if some news breaks you know, in the next little bit, understand that's where I'm at right now talking to you guys, and nothing has happened on that front. Um, yeah, I do want to talk at least briefly about the Wizards. Um, it is a wild team 
to say the least. They are, it is a massive turnaround, obviously, from where things were earlier in the year where they were just a miserable watch, um, not just in terms of their wins and losses, but just a, just an unappealing brand of basketball to, to deal with. But over the last, you know, whatever, the, whatever we're at here, 16, 17 games, it, it has been quite the turnaround. Yes, they did lose Monday night to the Atlanta Hawks, but they did so without Bradley Beal. Once again, came down to the last second. A Russell Westbrook shot missed the mark. Of course, Russell Westbrook did not miss the mark when it came to the big news of the day, and that is him setting the new NBA record for most triple doubles in a career, breaking the mark held by Oscar Robertson. You know, it is one of those marks that people you know never thought would would get broken, and it's only really been in the last uh, you know five years of Westbrook really sort of ratcheting it up, ratcheting it up. Uh, the amount of triple doubles, even this year, it's, you know, he, he had some early on while he was, while he was still injured, but he really poured it on since the all-star break. So kudos to Russell Westbrook. You know, I've, I've said this before, you know, he's not my favorite player in the league from a standpoint of like, if I was really trying to watch, if I was really trying to win a title, he would not be the guy at the top of the, of, of the food uh, chain for me. Um, some of his late game stuff, can be frustrating. Even that shot he took at the end of that Hawks game last night was sort of an example of a guy whose confidence level is so extreme that he doesn't always recognize what's the best basketball play for him or the team. All that said, you know, he is an absolute force of nature. And I was um, texting with friend of the podcast, Joe House, uh, earlier uh, over the last day or so about Washington. And he was just, just, uh, in, you know, couldn't, couldn't be praising Westbrook more for sort of what we're talking about here, how, well, in his view, sort of one guy has really kind of changed the attitude here. And, and look, it's hard to argue it to an degree. I, I, I've said before that, you know, I think you look at last year, which was an underwhelming season record-wise, though I thought Washington to a degree overachieved a bit. And I, I put a lot of that on Bradley Beal, that Bradley Beal's day-in, day-out work, ethic, focus, whatever, um, s- worked a lot for this team that 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 players responded to him in ways that maybe they hadn't with with others um but Westbrook is another is another level of of just species there's no there's very few human beings I've ever seen in any walk of life have Russell Wex Russell Westbrook's intensity day in day out play in play out um it, it is it is quite remarkable as I said I do think you can sometimes get him into trouble in, in certain spots we saw this the other day um, in the uh, Indiana game, <laughs> right? It was the Indiana game, I think, where he fouls out late, uh, sort of over a seemingly temper tantrum. Um, but at the same time, he um, it, it's it's just an amazing it, it is an amazing spectacle to watch him, and 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 it is you know to, now that we get the chance to watch him day in day out because he's on this team, you know, you really do appreciate how hard he tries. And regardless of the other things, the winning of the title and whether that's the best guy to have to, to, to do it or not, it's it's a different deal. And the Wizards, even you know, I think I think they're like thirteen and four their last seventeen games, something like that. And all those four losses have been in overtime or by one point. Um, that is a lot about Westbrook. And I've said this before on this podcast that like Bradley Beal is sort of the anchor of this team, but they will rise and fall based on how Westbrook. Performs. He is incredibly ball dominant. He is such a presence that it's going to go how he goes. He was bad early in the year. We know now it was more because of an injury, but nonetheless, that wasn't helping the cause and the, the team played to that. And they are now playing up to his level 
as well. So you can, and you can just see how his intensity carries over to other players on the team, how they are responding to it. And that's what makes him such an interesting player. I, I think, you know, I, I think, um, you know, some, some university 20 years from now might, 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 might have a college course on, you know, making sense of the Russell Westbrook era. It, it is an unbelievably fascinating ride. You're hearing so many national people talk about him, not that they haven't talked about him before, but, but to, to do it again, um, I, ironically, I think that Russell Westbrook's rise here is probably going to hurt Bradley Beal in the All-NBA vote because so much of the positive views of here will be um, um, will be attached to Westbrook more than Beal. I, I will note that that the Wizards, um, and I don't have this in front of me, apologies, but I believe the Wizards are now 1-9 in, in games without Bradley Beal uh, this season, and overall the Wizards are... 32 and 37. So that speaks a lot to what Bradley Beal does. And I think that's important. I think Bradley Beal's had the all NBA season. Westbrook's had a great stretch here, but it's Beal who's been the anchor over the course of, of the year. I, I do think it's interesting. You know, one of my issues with the the concept of, of, of acquiring Russell Westbrook for John Wall, not at the time they made the trade, because once the rumor got out there, you kind of had to move forward with it. And obviously, just based on we didn't know a lot about John Wall's physical situation coming off all the injuries, that Russell Westbrook would be the better player. He was an All-NBA guy just last year. He's been an MVP, of course. Whatever whatever John Wall's peak is, Russell Westbrook has it has exceeded it. But there's also a downside to the Russell Westbrook experience. That's perhaps who explains why Kevin Durant wanted out, why the why the situation with James Harden ultimately kind of faded out that it only gets you to a certain point and there's a certain level of frustration that we'll see if that's a factor here, if the Wizards actually do make the playoffs. Um, they, well, by the playoffs, I mean the top eight seed. They seem to be a pretty much a lock for the play-in game unless they just completely collapse. Um, Beal will miss at least one more game with a hamstring injury, and we'll see beyond that. Um, but, um, you know, so over time, we'll see how the Westbrook situation plays out particularly interested with Bradley Beal, who I think part of the appeal for Beal to be here was he, to stay with the Wizards was that he was going to have a chance to be the face of the organization. He has talked about that publicly, and I think that's important. I think anybody looking at this team now would think that it's Russell Westbrook who is the face of this team, and we'll see how that plays out. I mean, we are just last night, of course, Bradley Beal had a major social media brouhaha with Golden State guard Kent Bazemore, who on Twitter earlier in the day uh, put out a tweet about his teammate Steph Curry saying essentially how great Steph is. He had just scored 49 points in 29 minutes and that, uh, or maybe I don't know if the combo was from earlier in the day, but it was recent at least. And, um, and he said that like, you know, Curry's playing so well that some guys are pulling their hamstrings trying to keep up an obvious jab at Beal, you know, it seemed relatively playful. Beal obviously did not take it that way. If you were on social media, on Twitter, Beal just kept hammering Bazemore over and over again. It was a topic today when Beal was on first take. He seemed today to take it in good stride and, um, you know, all that. But, you know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see what sets somebody, set somebody off. Beal's generally a pretty, I think, a mild-mannered guy who obviously is very competitive on the court. Um, it, it sort of goes outside his reputation, it feels like, for this. And yet, obviously, over the last year or two, we have seen him have some uh, – express his opinion on social media and otherwise. And um, I don't know. It's interesting to say the least. And, uh, you know, I, it, the fact that it comes on a day that Russell Westbrook sets the all-time record for triple doubles. I know it's also the same day that Kent Bazemore 
whatever he said came out. But you know, uh, you know, Beal said all the nice things about Westbrook, and I know he he, he cherishes Westbrook as a teammate. But it's just interesting that all this sort of happened at the same day as Russell Westbrook continues to dominate the attention when it comes to the Wizards. So um, I don't know. In any event, that, that that's a fun subplot. The Westbrook triple-double records are incredible, and the Wizards have just a few games left here before they likely are getting into this play-in game situation. And, you know, I think of the four teams that will be involved, I think the Wizards absolutely have a chance to get it done and arguably would be the favorite other than the fact that, like, the, you know, if they're the 9 or 10 seed, there's just a little bit more to overcome. But in any event, the Wizards are vastly different than they were earlier in this year. Those of us who watch them with re on regularity appreciate that happening so thank you to the wizard for that and to that end thanks russell westbrook for supplying this team and this fan base with a jolt of energy and we'll see what happens now and yes we'll see what happens going forward did all of this ultimately save scott brooks's job if in fact he were to be uh not renewed after his contract ends this year the fact that he's the one guy who in, in russell westbrook's career has seemingly gotten this guy to who seems to get this guy, I think it has to be a big step in Scott Brooks's favor, regardless of what that means to the larger picture the Wizards have. Westbrook's going to be here the next two seasons. He's under contract. You might as well lean into that. That's kind of why I was saying not to trade Beal as well. Um, so I could see Scott Brooks coming back for those reasons. That's another conversation for another day. Yes, also let me mention the NFL will release the schedule on Wednesday. Uh, we know with Washington's opponents, I'm most looking forward to when they're playing at Las Vegas. You can find people who have mocked schedules online. I will mock that, that they exist. Silliness beyond belief. In any event, the schedule is at Wednesday, and that will be interesting as well. Um, but speaking of conversations, let's get to the one I had earlier today with Jason Lockenfora from CBS Sports, and then we'll get to uh, North Carolina Offensive Coordinator Phil Longo here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, time for some national perspective on the Washington football team. Nobody better than to uh, to do that than a guy who used to be on this beat, still knows them well, Jason Lockenfor with CBS Sports. Uh, it's now a, a week or a week or so past the draft, so which effectively means to a degree the end of the offseason. Are you able to finally uh, get some rest, calm down? Reintroduce re, re, re reintroduce yourself to your family, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a little more time to help uh, with you know coaching little league and uh, and stuff like that, and and getting to some ball games with my boys. Uh, so that's that's awesome. I love this time of year, and yeah, you do feel like you get your life back a little bit. Um, you know, the season runs from well, who knows what camps are going to be like this year, but most of the time, you know, the season for me, people are like oh. Well, you know, oh, well, football's over. I'm like, nah, football begins like July 25th. Really, it begins like a month before that because it takes forever to plan these damn training camp trips. And then it runs through the draft. And then, you know, barring uh, a deflate gate situation or a bounty gate situation, uh, you know, it, it tends to um, slow down a little bit this time of year, especially with most of the offseason for now looking like it's virtual. But no, I can't complain, man. People, uh, the appetite for draft related content, I think has, I mean, really grown from my perspective from when I first started covering this league to, to now um, to where it, it is a, you know, 
24-7, 365-day machine in, unto itself. Uh, there's a constant demand for that. So, yeah, um, I guess to make a long story long, a long answer longer, I, I, I definitely feel like um, I, can, I can have a little bit more uh, latitude in terms of lifestyle right now. Uh, but really it'll, it's still, you never know. This Aaron Rodgers thing is not going away. Uh, there's always something, but yeah, it, it, this is, this is good. And then when we get to the beach in July, it'll be even better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. Like the, the Aaron Rodgers thing could, could, could tip and maybe we'll get to that um, in, in a sec. I know you just wrote about, about that, but I, I want to start with, with Washington. Now, as like I said at the top, you used to cover this team. Mm-hmm. For the Washington Post, um, I uh, when I first started covering the team as a very uh, freelance help out here there with the Associated Press, you were out there, um, and and so you obviously you know know this group. And while things change over time, the one thing that doesn't, of course, is the owner, Dan yeah. Snyder, and that helps everybody. I think have have a baseline sense of where this team is at. But that does sort of bring me to the to the to the question here, and that is. It is now two off seasons with Ron Rivera. They did win the division title last year, regardless of how lousy the NFC mm-hmm. East was. They did win it. And, you know, by and large, I think everybody would have to look at Washington's off seasons the last two years and give them uh, a thumbs up. Uh, you know, not saying that I'm not saying Jamin Davis will, will become the next great linebacker or that, you know, even what things that they did in last year's draft will work out or for agency. I'm just talking about the process, the sense right. of scent that, that they have a direction that the, that the front office and the coaching yeah. staff are, working together in part because it's the same guy running it but so i'm wondering now that you've from where you sit and also you talk to people around the league is washington's reputation at all changing with rivera sort of now being the face or is it still the looming presence of dan snyder makes everybody hesitant no matter what well i think it depends on what level we're we're talking um obviously when it comes to the ownership level and the tippy top of the organization as you said initially not much has changed, and obviously there's a lot of reporting out there uh, right now and an ongoing NFL investigation into the culture uh, and, and serious allegations of sexual impropriety and, and in some cases assault that would indicate that, that, that there's, there's still a whole lot of work to be done there. Um, but obviously you go a level below with Jason Wright, and that is um, – the a type of sort of move that Dan Snyder had had never been willing to really do before going completely outside of sort of his wheelhouse or the types of people he would normally have in that role with the types of background they would usually have. It's a different organizational structure than we've seen really, I, I think, ever since, since Snyder bought the team. And I think the uh, ongoing investigations in that situation coupled with his comfort level with what's in place from a team presidency uh, hierarchy from the head coach slash head of football operations hierarchy, including super experienced um, sort of grizzled seen it all personnel people in Martin Mayhew and, and, uh, and Marty Herney now to help Ron Rivera, because that's not Ron's. Forte. That's not Ron's skill set. Um, people who work with Ron would say a lot of great things about Ron, but picking players, not one of them. So, so now they've addressed that and it's people who he knows and people he respects. And so, yeah, I think they have a bit like, I kind of look at some of these franchises the same way when you're that bad that long and you have ownership issues. Um, 
I think you kind of take baby steps and I look at Cleveland, right. And, and the first sort of foundational thing that would have to happen in Cleveland, if they were ever going to turn the corner was going to have to be the, the, the stripping away of the toxicity, finding uh, adults who could coexist, even though they have differing opinions, getting people in there who really are about winning, not about protecting their own back, protecting their own interest, you know, winning, you know, playing games uh, through the media or in the media and they achieve that. And then other things start falling in place. I don't think Washington is necessarily where Cleveland is right now from a roster standpoint. Um, uh, from sort of a, a, a truly pulling out of the doldrum standpoint, but I think they they might be a year behind, and I think this year's Washington team could mimic last year's Washington team. And I, I know they won a division title last year, but you know it was a weird year, pandemic. I don't think the division will be great, but it won't be that bad. Um, you're playing a larger, expanded schedule now, so you're going to have to win more football games. And I, and I think they are the team to beat in that division, and I think they will win more football games. They're not a Super Bowl contender now, and they haven't figured out the quarterback position yet. But you're not going to get all that done in one offseason or, or maybe even two. But I think you have to like the trajectory that they're on. Um, there's still a lot of unknowns, though, when you start talking about what, what ownership's going to look like. I, I don't think he's going to be forced to divest himself of the team, but none of us know the full findings of, of that investigation yet and what will be recommended and what the league office will do. Uh, but this is not a situation where it's Dan and some cronies and some buddies and he can bar, you know, he, he has sort of carte blanche to barge in and barge out and being as involved um, in any micro or macro level decision as he wants to be. I, I don't think that's where he is right now. I think he has other battles that he's fighting that go way beyond football. And I think he is uh, incredibly comfortable with the people who are entrusted in doing some of the things that he would often meddle in. Yeah, I mean, and and one thing that you said in there that, that I that I, I gravitated towards is the idea of the cronies. Um, you know, I wrote I wrote something about this the other day w during the draft, and that is even when Dan Snyder in those years where he was a little more muted, he wasn't as you know over overtly involved. It appeared you always had a Vinny Serrato or a Bruce yes. Allen in the yes. room, either mucking it up or doing his yes. bidding, and they their their seemingly sole interest was not the benefit of the football team on the field but no. incurring favor with the owner yes. to stay in the role of being Dan Snyder's best friend. And it feels like Ron Rivera has now sort of, he, he's put himself in that position, but understanding that for him, the responsibility is towards the football field. And now he brings in guys, like you said, Herney and Mayhew and others who have, you know, good reputations. Again, doesn't mean they will draft the best players or that the, right. that the team will win Lombardi trophies, but it feels like it's heading um, in, in that right direction. Um let me ask you, you know, we went through this at the time, this ultimate sliding doors scenario in terms of Washington at the end of the year. If they win the division, well, then you make the playoffs and that's a feather in your cap um, and all that. But at the same time, it means you're going to take yourself out most likely uh -huh. of the quarterback, uh, possibly drafting a quarterback. They would have been picking in the 10-11 range if they had lost that last game to Philly or just stumbled along the way. But they also gained positive 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 aspects from that surge i mean the players clearly i think buy into ron rivera as a, yeah. as a leader of men even more so we won't know for sure of course for forever or maybe we will never know but we now know that justin fields and mac jones would have been there at 10 and 11 and as you said we know washington still doesn't have at the moment a long-term answer quarterback 
So if you had to guess, what do you think is ultimately going to be the thing we will look back on that this was the, that, that, that it's a big, what if, what if they had just lost and gotten that quarterback because we'll think of at some point they just never did or, or a shot at a quarterback. You never know how it happens. Or will we look at it as this, th- that stretch was the moment when Ron Rivera really took hold of this thing and it became, you know, the, um, the, the a, a perennial team to sort of contend with in the NFC. Yeah. I wish I had a crystal ball. I mean, I, I think you've hit on the nexus of, um, sort of pre- like present need versus um, overarching long-term need and, and then evaluating who's available and at what cost. And certainly Washington, you look at where that organization is, where Ron is, where, you know, these the new um, evaluators who were just brought in. And then you compare that to Chicago where people, you know, there, there were a lot of dudes who thought they were going to get fired, you know, Thanksgiving last year and then after the season. And now they're still there and they're in full on desperation mode. Um, now, it doesn't mean that desperation won't be their best friend in this instance, because I really like Justin Fields. And I know that there's really smart people in the Washington organization who really like Justin Fields. They just didn't feel like paying that freight right now made the most sense for them for where they were and who they had. Uh, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I know that like next year's quarterback batch is not expected to be as good, but I also know that nobody this time last year was talking about, you know, the kid from BYU being the second overall pick and Justin Fields, perhaps only being the fifth quarterback of the big five. At that point, there wasn't even a big five because Mac Jones and BYU weren't even in the mix. So things change and there's a lot of kids who didn't play football this past year who God willing are going to be able to play a whole lot of it in a normal fashion next year. And so I think all things being equal, that position, you'd rather evaluate it with as much data and as much um, sort of tactile information as possible. And by tactile information, I mean, having the kid in your building, putting him on the board, working him out, having him spend the night, you know, seeing what he's like at dinner with the owner all those things they couldn't do this year. Uh, but look, I, I no, no one's perfect. And they may very well be sitting here two years from now saying, damn, if we had given up that one and whatever to get fields, we'd be a Super Bowl contender. Um, there's just, it, it you know, it, 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 their jobs are, are difficult. And um, in some ways, you know, I don't, I don't envy those decisions, but that's also what, what they're paid to do. But yeah, if you're looking for caveats, the, 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 the one massive one with WFT is you, you've got a caretaker quarterback who's, you know, pushing 40, who can, can hit some real high notes, but can't sustain them. And, and, you know, has been a guy who you need four games, six games, eight games. He can salvage your season. Can he do it over 17 games in 18 weeks? Even as great as that defense is, I, I don't know. And then after that, you have some question marks, but, Clearly the number one overarching goal of that organization from top to bottom moving forward is going to be evaluating the quarterback position and finding the long-term solution. So speaking of the quarterback position, we know that they made a play to get, to try to get Matthew Stafford, which I think was a reasonable Mm -hmm. uh, attempt considering where they're at. Um, But they didn't get that you uh, in your role as a NFL newsbreaker for CBS, you hear, things, some of which you report, some of which you don't. Um, I'm just curious, 
that Washington did a lot of things this offseason. They obviously signed Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel, William Jackson in free agency. They just drafted obviously Jamin Davis. And there was always, you know, there's always rumors in between of, you know, you could you could have done this, you could have done that. Did they try to sign this player? Did you, should they have traded for that? Could they have traded for that? What what's the what's the thing they didn't accomplish this offseason that you're kind of convinced they wanted to? And how did they if, if that's if you have an answer for that? How do you see that they pivoted from you know, what what they couldn't ultimately do? I mean, they would have they would have loved to get a winning quarterback who has who's uh, more than a a year to year or half a year to half year or month to month, um, uh, sort of a probability or possibility. They would they would love to. I mean, yeah, Stafford, but it wasn't going to happen when you you had McVay so motivated to to do whatever it took to keep throwing picks at somebody to get them to take that Jared Goff contract off your hands. You know, that's hard to compete with. I mean, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's some interest there. Certainly there would be, but does that player want to come to Washington? I, I don't think so. And he's going to be able to uh, steer that wherever he wants because he's got the ultimate leverage of, I just won't play football. Um, Russell Wilson. Yeah, they were certainly had their ear to the ground on that. And he's from the, you know, Tidewater area. I mean, that would be, that would be amazing. Um, he's got a no trade clause, and, you know, uh, Washington. While I think if there was a second tier to his list with Sierra and, and there was, you know, okay, here's group one and then here's group two. I think Washington would be in group two, but as of right now, there, there isn't you know, a, a, a group two. There was, they pretty much whittled it down to three or four places that they felt most comfortable with this offseason. I mean, now does that change in a year? I, who knows? I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out in terms of Russell Wilson being traded. I don't know about Washington, but um, that situation has certainly not been put to bed. It's it's not all hunky-dory and, and harmonious. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, they've done their due diligence on all those things as an organization. None of them they felt like made the most sense uh, or made more sense than proceeding with, you know, um, Fitzpatrick and some of these sort of uh, developmental guys who, I mean, they're maybe a little bit old to call them developmental guys now, but whatever, might have some upside, have some athleticism that they like. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, that that obviously is, is finding that next guy will be paramount to however this um, regime is judged. Right, right, for for for, for sure. Um, let, let me ask you, so I know in the, in the time I've left, I at least want to get into this, this one topic in particular. Um, so Brandon Scherf, obviously it's been sort of put on the back burner. He's got the second franchise tag. You know, while other players mm-hmm. that, that were given second franchise tags this year, like a Justin Simmons um, or a um, Leonard Williams were able to come to terms on a longer term deal, there's no signs of, of that happening with Scherf, at least that I've heard, or at least it's been publicly reported. And so we may be heading down another Kirk Cousins path, but okay, let's, uh, I think for the most part, people have been resigned to the fact that he may end up playing this year and then that might be it. But I'm sort of curious about what's been happening here in the last, uh, you know, 10 days or so they trade. Like, I'm not saying that the line they have is the, um, is the old hogs, but they have some decent players and some depth. They, they traded for Eric flowers, two days before the draft. Now, again, Eric Flowers is not Russ Grimm, but, you know, he yeah. was a starter here and he's been, yeah. it was a starter for Miami. Um, they draft Sam Cosme in the second round, which seems like a reasonable move from a, to get a long-term tackle prospect. Mm-hmm. 
And then, and now as we're talking, they were meeting with yesterday, Charles Leno, the free agent from the bears. I'm not, all I heard was it was going late into the night last night. I don't quite know where things stand. So possibly they add him, whether they add him or not. I think they already have like nine guys that I would put on the roster. Uh, the, 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 whatever I'll, I'll go through this the, the names at a different point of this podcast but you already have like nine guys arguably who i would say are on the team that's not even counting two week the two week one starters from last year jaron christian and west martin that's not even counting a guy like tyler larson who came over from carolina as a free agent I, part of me is wondering are they adding this depth just because they want depth for competition which is fine or is it possible there's something going on with Scherf that i don't know is this completely off the radar this is maybe my tinfoil hat uh on on too tight but uh i don't know it just seems odd to me that they've made this kind of, this these many moves and potentially more if they add leno considering the sheriff thing's still out there i don't i don't know that they're tied together um i think they're just trying to build the i mean it's one thing if you think you found you know what i mean some guys who can play in the league like who, okay, we're, we're there, there, there's whatever replacement level, slightly below replacement level, um, but collectively we're, we're kind of okay. I think they're, you know, their aspirations are a little higher than that. And you look at the um, opportunity cost of not taking alignment up high, right? Not, you know, Darisol or whatever else. Well, you, you still want to, you know, you, you're still trying to, to upgrade there. So Flowers, obviously, right, he, he couldn't really play tackle, but the guard thing worked pretty well. And you got Miami. Miami paid a lot of the freight financially. So, to me, that's a no-brainer. You know he's a personality fit there. You know, he, he kind of he revived his career there, right? So, at that cost, I, I get it. Um, they did really want that tackle, someone in that organization. I, I talked to a few hours before the draft, and we kind of were going through scenarios, and that was the one name that, that like, they were kind of, really hoping was still there and I thought he would be and he was and so that's not like Monday morning quarterbacking or that stuff where it's you know every player just happened to follow us like he absolutely was someone they had targeted there um and, and I think ha had they not been comfortable that he was going to be there maybe they they do something to move up a little bit and get him but it, again if, if if you have a chance to then also add at that position to a youngish veteran who is an established NFL starter, then that provides a little bit of a cushion. If the kid's not ready, we don't have to rush it, you know? So I, I, I just think it's about them understanding as an organization, the importance of that position group. Um, you know, Fitzpatrick can run around and do some things, but not like he used to. Uh, you're, you, you know, I, I think you, you probably can't get as creative as other teams with what you do in the run game and deception and, and, you know, selling out for RPOs and mesh point and all that to help that group out. So no, I just, I think it's smart. Um, I don't think it's necessarily connected to the sheriff end game one way or the other, you know, and the bottom line with a situation like that is I, I don't, I don't think much would change until the middle of July. And then you put a little something out there and it's not exactly what the player wants, but a lot of times, especially big guys like that who have been through the wars, they might want that bird in hand. You know, they might decide that, okay, that's not really the full guarantee I'd want. And that's not everything I'd want, but it's more than this one year tender. And let me just, you know what I mean? Let, let me just get something done with these guys while I still can and not risk what could happen over the next 17 games.
Yeah, yeah, for sure. But like I said, it's a it's a little tin foil hat theory. It's just they have a they have a lot of guys and they're not all making the team. So I'm just trying to figure out. But okay, but look, maybe it's just competition and they took advantage of a of of a market that just allowed well, them to and, bring in bring look, in some bodies. There's always a need for offensive linemen. So if if they do look deep and they get through the second preseason game and those guys are still healthy, and you do all things being equal would probably favor 2022 drafts, especially if we're talking late round picks than 2021, given all the factors of what you couldn't do last year and what you should be able to do to evaluate them this year, then that's a good problem to have, right? If you're picking up a five here or a six there uh, for a guy who wasn't going to make your team anyway, that's not something I think we've been able to say about the Washington football team a whole lot over the years, but that's again, one of those sort of, it's not going to show up in the standings, but one of those sort of immeasurable, um, benchmarks that you have to clear before you do become a truly competitive franchise um jason last question i know i got i gotta let you go whether you want to point to somebody something they did in free agency one of the draft picks maybe it's um bringing in marty herney or martin mayhew or maybe it's anything else i haven't even mentioned what's your favorite thing that this team has done in this offseason after winning the title to maybe you know sort of help push the cause going forward what's your what's the what's the your favorite thing that they did um, this offseason? I, I think it probably is um, bringing in the evaluators that they brought in, guys who already have mutual respect, guys who are at a point in their career uh, where they're, they're not, it's not going to be all about who's got this title, who's supposed to do this, who's supposed to do that, whose name is attached to this, am I getting enough, you know, or am I getting enough credit? Is my agent pushing me out there? enough where am i going after this what is this my launching pad for what is this my springboard for they're beyond all that you know um they both have roots in this organization they care about and i'm talking about marty and and martin they they have emotional visceral ties to the organization in ways that unless you came up as sort of you know an intern here or you came up as a as a rookie there uh, and we're a part of some some uh, iconic times for the franchise. You just if you don't have that in your heart, you don't have that in your heart. And then I I I, I love their personalities. I, I think they're both very good at what they do. I think they understand Ron and and have the the wherewithal to know sort of how to get their point across with him in different ways. I I just I I think ultimately they had to get people in there who were all sort of at a point in their career and, and a comfort with themselves and a comfort with the organization and an understanding of what they're getting into with this owner, because while things seem to be improving, you know, give it 30 minutes and, and another bomb may drop somewhere. I, I just think it's a, and then with, and with Jason Wright, where he is in his career and how much he can learn from some of these older guys as, as he continues to get his sea legs under him. I just think they've done a lot of smart things. Um, and there, there isn't, um, at least as I can tell, there's not a double agent in the bunch. There's not a plant. There's not a mole. There's not a rat. There's not Dan's guy who you have to be careful what you say when he comes down the hall. And I think because of, again, the circumstances we talked about at the open, not all of which have to do with football. I think Dan has so much else going on that he's, he's, further removed enough now that it, it it helps all these guys pulling in the same direction. I think that's more important. Like, do I love the kid they took in the first round? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, Ron knows linebackers. Marty knows linebackers. Martin knows linebackers. I like that linebacker a lot. Um, 
I think they'll know how to deploy him. I think you took a strength and you doubled down on it. But I think just having if they having the course set at the top in ways they never have before is just so much more important than than any one player, even you know, even a late first round pick or mid first round pick or whatever. Right, right. Uh, Jason, man, really appreciate it. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're probably already following Jason on Twitter. But if you're not, at Jason Lock and Fora, read him, of course, on CBS Sports. And if you're a, a ball, into the Baltimore sports, I'm, I'm an Orioles fan. Listen to Jason on 105.7, the fan in Baltimore. Um, really appreciate it, man. Uh, My uh, pleasure. C- congrats on getting through another offseason. And uh, good luck <laughs> chasing you. Aaron Rodgers news down. Yeah, we shall see. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks, Ben. Okay. Many thanks to Jason Locken for, for his time. Just a quick follow-up on the Brandon Sheriff situation. I hopefully haven't repeated myself here. If I have, if I, if I am, hopefully I'll be entertaining enough to stay with me here. Um, but with regards to the offensive line, look, obviously in the grand scheme of things, I would imagine that Brandon Sheriff will be on this team next year. And then as we've said before, if they don't sign a franchise tag before the um, you know, the, the deadline coming up this summer, you know, he will play two years on the franchise tag and there's no way there'll be a third tag. And that pretty much means he'll be playing somewhere else in 2022, barring injury or the unforeseen, right? So I, I guess what I, what I just keep coming to is here's where we're at right now. Okay, currently on the roster, you have the starting five that ended last season. So that's Cornelius Lucas, Wes Schweitzer, Chase Ruier, Brandon Sheriff, Morgan Moses. That's the offensive line left to right. You, you know that. Now, you've, you, they draft Sam Cosme. He's one of the, he's a tackle. They still have Sadiq Charles. He's another tackle or guard. They trade for Eric Flowers. They draft Keith Ishmael last year. That's nine players right there. That would seem to be a, you know, not saying that's the Hogs, but that seems like a reasonable group, okay? And nine is a number that, you know, you can go 10, but nine seems like a reasonable number. If you add Leno... That would be 10. But even if you don't, here's who's on the outside. Two guys that started the season on the offensive line, Jaron Christian and Wes Martin. David Sharp started games last year and also was on the roster all season. They signed Tyler Larson away from Carolina, which we kind of understand why that might have happened, a veteran guy to play. We can play inside. And they also have David Steinmetz, who was a, sort of a fill-in offensive lineman last year. Now, I'm not saying any of those guys should be on the team. I'm just saying generally they would be in the mix to be on the team. And I don't see how that's even possible, again, barring injury right now because of the nine guys I just mentioned. So I just try to think, like, what is happening here? And, you know, how much could it be that Brandon Scherf is potentially on the move and they're getting themselves enough bodies just in case? Maybe the more positive way to look at it is, that under Ron Rivera, Washington is just going to be as competitive as possible across the board. And while we may be looking, or I may be looking in this case, for sort of the obvious, well, who's the roster? What does this mean? They just be saying, hey, we're going to throw a bunch of, we're going to get as many options as we can. We're going to put them out on the field and we'll see what happens. That's certainly what Rivera would tell us. I just find it interesting though, because it's, it is slightly unusual to have that much competition it's one thing like when guys come out of nowhere like it's a wide receiver where a Steven Sims or an Isaiah Wright made the team in recent years uh, as an undrafted free agent right those things happen but like I'm talking about going into camp there are so many guys that it's some names that we would normally think have a real chance I just don't even see how they do same thing at receiver like I just mentioned Terry McLaurin Curtis Samuel they're in uh, that Washington just drafted Deami Brown Cam Sims had a very good year they sign Adam Humphreys. 
Antonio Gannon Golden was a fourth round pick a year ago. I could probably say right now with some level of confidence, that's your top six on the team bar injury. I still, we still have though, the aforementioned Steven Sims and Isaiah Wright. We have Kelvin Harmon coming back from a knee injury. Kelvin Harmon's a very interesting player, in my opinion. Um, tough guy, good hands, can block. Uh, uh, you know, again, I'm not saying that any of those guys, and, and again, wide receiver is a position where you can kind of come off, uh, bring in a guy from kind of nowhere. Oh, they also drafted Dax Milne out of BYU, right? None of those guys that I just mentioned outside of the top six, I would put as really having much of a chance, I don't think, uh, because of the what, how I would look at those other guys. So it's interesting just to see the level of competition that's in this camp. And it's not just those positions. You can maybe point to a couple other ones as well. Anyway, I just think that on the offensive line, you know, without, sometimes I can, you know, I can overthink things. And it probably is just that. They just have options for opportunity for depth. And that's where that's what we're looking at. But I just do, you know, the Brandon Sheriff thing is interesting. I'm not reporting anything. I, I just... I just find it interesting, and because I'm, I find it in, you know, interesting and curious, I wanted to talk it out. That's what we just did here. All right, uh, let's move on to um, uh, to our conversation about Diami Brown here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, um, really appreciate our next guest taking time out of his day to join us here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Obviously, Washington drafted uh, wide receiver Diami Brown mm-hmm. out of North Carolina in the third round, so we Turn to the University of North Carolina coaching staff for some insight and joining us here is offensive coordinator, Bill Longo. Bill, I really appreciate it. I, I, I know you, the draft is not necessarily your world, but I'm sure you got tons of questions about the army and all kinds of guys. So I'm imagine you're, you're happy that the draft is over with at this point. You know, the draft was exciting. It's, it's a good problem when you have five players, uh, four on offense get drafted in a year. And so, the biggest problem is trying to replace those guys, but but we are all extremely happy for Yami Brown and his and his teammates that that uh, went in the draft this year. <laughs> for sure. So obviously, all of us here, you know, we 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 started immediately looking into Diami. I mean, I had heard about him for sure leading into the draft. He was somebody I was told to keep an eye on somewhere on day two, and um, you know, the, the the numbers are pretty staggering. I'm just wondering, just from your perspective, give us the the quick sense the bio of this kid as, as a receiver as a person if you want as well what should people kind of uh kind of expect when we see him out on the field i'd say you know diami was uh, extremely you know he, he's a product of his own hard work i mean he's he's got a great work ethic he'll he'll practice every day like it's game day and, and uh, he runs that way he breaks his routes off that way you know, he trains that way all through practice. So I don't think that Washington will send the Redskins. I can remember that's not the deal anymore. I, I think that Washington will enjoy that work ethic. And I think Diami still has um, some more upside. I think he's only going to get better as he gets stronger. You know, he was a, a tremendous uh, deep ball, big play receiver for us. You know, people often ask, why, why don't we do more with him underneath? You know, and my answer always is, you know, when he has – when he has a step on somebody and he can win vertically, we're going to let him win vertically. And then if he can't, then he has an opportunity to break the route off and do some other things. So that's how good he was. You know, he was able to get out ahead of a lot of people this year. And uh, he had a really good rapport and, and great timing with Sam Howell. And so it, it certainly was a tremendous offensive production for the Tar Heels. You know, the, you don't want to base 
evaluation solely on statistics, but when you pull up his stats, and I mean, my first question was, whoa, wait a minute. He averaged 20 yards a catch in back-to-back years. I, I went to Twitter and sort of just threw out generically, could somebody tell me if this, you know, when's the last time something like that happened? And a friend of mine who works for the, uh, well, he worked for the, 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 the basketball reference website, but, you know, the football reference, you know, it's all the same family. He, he looked it up and he said that Diami was the only player since 2000 to have done that. I mean, and he's not doing it on like 20 catches. He's doing it on a pretty healthy number of, of receptions to be, I mean, that is, that is a pretty next level of, of, of playmaking. I mean, what, what do you sort of to that degree attribute both that production, but also just that level of consistency? Well, you know, one of the words you just used is consistency. He, he is consistent and he's pretty diverse. He's got, uh, he's got a, a good uh, repertoire of releases. Um, I think he does a really good job, particularly on vertical stems. Of, of winning the hips of a defender and, and, and getting them out of position, which is a huge reason why he's able to win vertically so much. He's not necessarily just flat out faster than everybody he beats. You know, he, he's able to, with his change of direction and his stop and start ability, he's able to get corners and DBs out of position, and which makes him a faster football player. And, and I think that's a big reason why he is so prolific you know, on, on our deep route stuff, but he's an excellent route runner. I mean, he can run the whole tree. It's his comebacks and his digs and his curls and the under routes. And, you know, he understands coverage to a point where he understands that where, where we wanted real, him really to chase space in, in zone coverage and create separation against man coverage. And I, he's good. And I, and I, and I'm very, very happy with how much, he improved over the past two years. And like I said earlier, I think Washington's only going to uh, – they're going to get an even better enemy Brown as he keeps working in the future. Um, obviously, in terms of – when you draft a player, it's not just for the immediate season, it's for the long haul. But in terms of the upcoming season, obviously Washington has Terry McLaurin, their top outside receiver. They signed Curtis Samuel in free agency, a guy that can kind of play everywhere. Their third receiver spot's kind of open. They have some other options on the roster as well as, as Diami. In terms of like this year, I mean, you know him well, obviously. What's realistic expectations do you think in terms of coming in and contributing? They don't necessarily need him to, but do you think he could potentially be right, right away week one, get ready to go? Or do you think maybe just with where he's at that, you know, taking some time would, would be more realistic expectation? No, it's really hard for me to say because I, I don't know how much of a disparity. I, I, I understand that he's playing at the highest level now. I haven't coached in the NFL. I've seen it. I've watched it, you know, but it, it would be hard for me to project. I, I would have a hard time believing that the army um, would not be able to utilize his athletic ability right now to create some separation and get himself open. And I think at the end of the day, you know, he's a really good blocker. Um, he's got good range. And, and uh, he can block, and he's willing to do that. And so, you know, I, he's able to do both things. And I, and I think from a route technique and a separation uh, standpoint, he's, he's good. And so I, I would not shock me if he uh, developed uh, into a really, really good NFL receiver and created an opportunity for himself this season. Um, he's going to have a chance to catch passes from Ryan Fitzpatrick. That'll be an adventure in and of itself, uh, just based on Ryan Fitzpatrick's 
career, but obviously at North Carolina had a really good connection with uh, quarterback Sam Howell, who is obviously a name we're all going to be paying attention to in college football this year. One of the top quarterbacks out there. What what made their dynamic so special? And for those of us who are going to pay attention to to, to continue to pay attention to North Carolina football this year, what what can we expect out of your out of your quarterback? Well, you know he's coming back for his third season. He's uh, he's elite. He's exceptional mentally. Uh, he's got tremendous arm talent. Developing himself each year more and more as, as a leader, and I think uh, Sam has got. He's played 24 college football games, and he is, you know, effectively 24 games better than when he started. And that's, you know, that's a tribute to his consistency and his passion for the game and his understanding that, you know, he has to keep getting better to stay ahead of the curve. And so I fully expect to see Sam play you know, like he's a third-year starter this year, and I, and, and we're going to need him to. You know, we have a, an offensive line and a tight end room that are returning, but he's going to have a lot of young running backs and receivers around him, and uh, we're, we're counting on him to help us, even as a staff, help help these guys mature and distribute the football to those guys and get them involved early in the season so that we can kind of gel with some new names and new faces. How, um, whether for Diami or for, for Sam, how does your offense – um, how, how do you think that uh, helps helps them get ready for, for the next step? And what are some of the key attributes of your offense that, you know, for, for both of them that, uh, you know, like I said, can, can when, when you watch players in your offense at receiver and quarterback that maybe what fans are watching can help sort of translate to the next level? For me, from a recruiting standpoint, I always want to recruit running backs and receivers that can make plays in open space. I, I think the way the offense is designed, you know, and, and the philosophy of the air raid of the passing game, it's designed to get guys open in space. It's designed to throw the football and throw the receivers to grass. So you, you want you want guys that can create and can be a weapon after the catch. Maybe for a running back, it might be after the catch or after they break the line of scrimmage. So, Initially evaluating Deami Brown when we got here, and I think you know he's every bit that type of guy that we want. And, you know, and at the end of the day, I don't. You know, these players create their own opportunity to play in the NFL. You know, I, I've never ever said, and I've never thought, and I don't believe that. You know, uh, the the offense is going to make a player. You know, this this whole thing about system quarterbacks and all that stuff. At the end of the day, these guys are either talented enough to play at that level or they're not. Um, and so De'Ami Brown and the rest of our guys that have been drafted this, this past season and the year before, they are all uh, NFL products because of their work ethic and, and because of their passion for the game and because of how hard they train. I think what the offense does for them, you know, for the offensive players on the side of the ball, I think what it does is, we're peacefully providing an opportunity for all of these positions. You know, we're going to give them opportunities. We're going to distribute the ball to them. So I think what we do is we probably present more of those opportunities than some other systems to go and do what they do so well. And, you know, it's, then then it's really all about their athletic ability and, and, and uh, their talent. But I, I've always told them in recruiting, and I, I firmly believe, 
they're probably going to get more opportunities in open space than they do in some other systems. And I think at the end of the day, that's why through recruiting, they wind up coming here because they can see the distribution. The left wide out was a thousand yard position. The slot was a thousand yard position. The right wide out was a thousand yard position between two guys and both running backs rush for a thousand. So we're distributing the ball of the five different skill guys and they're, and they're all prolific. And so you have to defend everybody, and that allows all these guys to be in numerous one-on-one situations. And Diami obviously took great advantage of those situations this year. Gotcha. Well, I, look, Phil, I really appreciate it. Just last question on Diami. I asked you about the football player. I guess just to some degree, I, the, the, what can you tell us about the, the, the guy? Does any kind of story uh, or any moment kind of stand out that uh, just just even just to your time together, something you may like, you know, think about whenever you think about this kid? Yeah, you know, the Army is a, a guy of few words. I mean, he really, he's all like Jamonte Williams. He just shows up, practice hard, and, and performs at a very, very high level. But the, the one thing that I always enjoyed about the Army is we, we talk about wanting their feedback during the game. You know, he's out there. He's got the best seat in the house when he's lined up against a particular corner or safety. And uh, I know what we think. I know what Coach Galloway thinks. I know what I think personally about what we want to run with him. But I always tell him, I said, look, if, if you've got something against a particular coverage or a particular play or personnel matchup-wise, I, I want to know what you have. Let me know, and I'll call it. You know, and I think as uh, the two years went on, he learned that, I was legitimately going to take his feedback. And then after a while, the conversation became, Diami, can you get him on this route? And if he smiled and winked at me, I knew it was a done deal. And and that's uh, that that became kind of a big part of the communication. I just learned he's just he's just a kid of few words and you know, if I said, Hey, look, we're gonna go post corner here or look, we're gonna we're gonna run a stutter vertical or we're gonna you know, we we're thinking about running this I'd run three routes by him, and the one he smiled at and the one he winked at you know, it was the one that I was going to run on the next series because I knew he felt really, really confident about winning on that route. So that became uh, probably the most accurate way of conversing with him with regards to, you know, in-game input and, and what to run with him. I always like that. He's got a great smile. He's a good-looking kid. And, and uh, you know, when, he, when those guys wink at you, you know they're super confident. You know, try to get him the ball as quickly as you can. Got it. Well, look, I really appreciate your time, really, and, and definitely the insight on uh, on, on Deami Brown and, and Sam Howell. I'm excited to see, of course, uh, what what Deami does here next year, and, and check out your offense. Obviously, you guys have a going in North Carolina. Uh, Phil Longo, offensive coordinator, really, really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate the invite. Y'all have a great weekend. All right. Many thanks to Phil Longo from North Carolina and Jason Lockenfora from CBS Sports. I do just want to mention quickly um, sad news to, to, to report kind of was happening just as I was starting this. Uh, former Washington quarterback Cole Brennan, I say quarterback, more of like a training camp preseason hero, apparently has passed away uh, at the age of uh, 37. Reports coming out of Hawaii about that. I don't know the details uh, beyond that. Obviously, when we talk about, you know, sort of, preseason heroes. Cole Brennan is one of those guys you just mentioned, had such charisma, such a flair, was obviously a, a huge college football star in Hawaii, put up prolific numbers. Uh, so obviously incredibly sad news, or, you know, best to him and, you know, to his family. I don't, again, don't know what happened, but, you know, rest in peace 
to Colt Brennan. Um, you know, easy way to sort of transition out of that, but I did just want to at least mention that, um, you know, as always, I hope everybody's doing well, doing uh, is safe. The, the feels like we're moving back to some level of normalcy in the world. Uh, the Washington football team to that end will hold rookie minicamp this weekend, and then we'll get into the OTA and minicamp, veteran minicamp cycle after that. So we'll see what happens this weekend. I have no idea what to make of it or how many people will be out there, but I expect we'll see some names, both in terms of the Jamin Davises of the world and maybe some other veteran type names as well. And we'll, we'll share that with you, what we find in the days ahead. So that's it for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Always appreciate you guys for checking it out for real guys and, and gals. Let me, I say guys as a generic term, not specifically to men. Um, everybody I do really appreciate it though thank you so much I'll catch you guys later until next time